Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. my life down only to take it up again he'll rise from the dead and he says no one takes it from me but i lay it down of my own accord listen the romans didn't kill him the jews didn't kill him you and i didn't kill him jesus willingly laid down his life because in essence all of us killed him but he did it willingly because he loves us and he had the power to take up his life again because of his triumph over sin and death. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Jesus was one with God, and he had all of God's power at his disposal. He could have resisted the power of the Romans and the religious leaders and brought legions of angels to enact the political takeover that so many were waiting for, but he didn't. As Pastor Gary continues our study of Isaiah in today's message, he'll point out that Jesus' plan to die for us was foreordained by his Father, and he willingly subjected himself to the excruciating pain of the cross out of deep love for you and me. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 50, as he begins his message, Jesus the Messiah. Today we're here in uh, the book of Acts, but we're, uh, we're, we're reading out of Acts really as it relates to our study through the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to read here from Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26, down through verse 34. So if you have your place handy there now, Acts chapter 8, and then we'll go back to Isaiah, but for the moment, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the, the, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. Now, what, what we're about to read here is from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. 
So this is where he is in the scroll, and it says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So in this passage here in Acts chapter 8, we have this Ethiopian official. He happens to also be mentioned as a eunuch because anyone serving in in a king's palace or a queen's palace in ancient times was made a eunuch so that there was no chance that, that, that their seed might mix with the royal line. Uh, but this particular man is a, a very highly regarded official in the court of Queen Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and his, his title is that he's in charge of the treasury. So uh, this man is, is very esteemed, uh, he is highly respected, and he has made a spiritual pilgrimage, not just a physical one, though it's a long one. To go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem is about a thousand miles. And this is back in a day when he's just in a chariot. This is no modern transportation where you can get there in a couple hours. Uh, this is something that took days. And he makes the journey from Ethiopia up through the Sudan, up into Egypt, probably follows the Nile River, cuts over the Sinai Peninsula up into Israel. And, uh, and he's made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem because he's seeking God. Uh, there are a lot of people just like this guy. Millions of people in our world today. Some of you might even be here today. You're seeking God. You have a curiosity. There's an interest. Um, you want to know more. And he, and he gets to Jerusalem on this pilgrimage. It's a spiritual pilgrimage and a physical pilgrimage. But he gets here to Jerusalem, and he has this encounter with God, but he, he, he can't connect all the dots. And so he's on his way back to Ethiopia, and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. In fact, the portion that he's reading from is where we've come to in our journey through the book of Isaiah. This is why I want to tie this story in. He happens to be reading from chapter 53. Uh, now, he has to obviously be a very wealthy man. I mean, he's in charge of the treasury of the Queen, of Can uh, uh, Queen Candace of Ethiopia. So uh, no doubt he, he uh, is, is very highly regarded and handsomely paid. Because for him to possess his own scroll of Isaiah in this day would have been a rare thing indeed. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't carry around a Bible like we do today back in those days. I mean, there was no printing press back in those days. So scribes had to handwrite every single thing, and we don't know how much of the Scriptures he had in his possession, but he at least has here the scroll of the book of Isaiah because he's reading it. And at the same time that he's reading it, the Holy Spirit taps Philip on the shoulder, and Philip is one of the early uh, leaders of the church in the first century, and the Holy Spirit says to Philip, I want you to go, go, go up to, to this guy. Go over to this chariot. And that's the only instruction that he's given. And he goes over and he hears this man reading the scroll out loud. And Philip asks him this question. Do you understand what you're reading? He's like, I don't, I don't understand what I'm reading. Okay, very honest assessment, right? I mean, how many of you could honestly say, you, you read your Bibles and you say to yourself, don't understand what I'm reading. Come on, just be honest. I don't understand what I'm reading. Okay. Look, I, look I've, been, I've been a Christian for now like 40 years and a pastor for 30 of those years. And I can tell you, there's sometimes I read it like, I don't know what I'm reading. I got to research and study it and dig it out. And so this guy doesn't understand what he's reading. And so 
he invites Philip, sit up here in the chariot with me, maybe you can explain some of this. And right here in Isaiah 53, Philip uses the very verses that this guy's reading, what does it say there in Acts 8, to explain to him about Jesus. Because Jesus is revealed in the Old Testament Scriptures. When we're looking in the book of Isaiah here together, we're looking at Old Testament Scriptures written 700 years before Christ. Before Christ was even born, 700 years previous, Isaiah is writing things about the coming Messiah prophetically and profoundly. Now, when I say that Isaiah is writing 700 years before the birth of Christ, whenever we speak of the birth of Christ, we're not speaking about his existence coming into being like you and I when we talk about our birth. When I was born, I, I came into existence. That's not the same with Jesus. Because the Bible makes it clear that Jesus has always existed being co-equal and co-eternal with God because Jesus is God. But there was a point in time where Jesus left his glory of heaven and entered into humanity through the miraculous conception by way of God's seed uniting with the egg of a virgin named Mary so that God could make his entrance into our world as the only perfect person who ever lived to be able to die for all the imperfect people who have ever lived. That's you and me. Okay, and so Jesus comes into the world, God in flesh, and Isaiah's talking about him coming into our world 700 years before he makes his grand entrance. Now, Isaiah speaks about this entrance into the world in previous chapters, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, for example, when Isaiah talks about the virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Emmanuel. Those decorate our Christmas cards, but Isaiah spoke of it in Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before Christ was born. Isaiah also spoke in Isaiah chapter 9 about his birth. In verse 6, when he talks about, again, things that ordain our Christmas cards, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah is writing about the birth of Christ, the grand entrance of God into humanity to save us from our sins. But then you get to the section where we are here in Isaiah between chapters 50 and 53, if you'll turn there now in your Bibles. And what you find in this section, which is the same section from which this Ethiopian official is reading, what you find here now in these chapters, 50 to 53, in stunning detail, Isaiah describes the beating, the humiliation, the crucifixion, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ 700 years before it happened. You see, the Bible presents Christ from cover to cover. When we speak about Messiah, which literally in the Hebrew is Mashiach, it translates anointed one. The, the Greek equivalent for Mashiach is Christos. So whenever we say Christ, we're saying anointed one. Whenever we say Messiah, we're saying anointed one. And Jesus himself is that long-anticipated, long-awaited Messiah about which Isaiah spoke 700 years before Jesus even comes. And so when you read your Bibles, you have to understand that Isaiah is speaking about Messiah looking forward. We have the advantage of looking at Scripture and realizing Messiah looking backward. But all of it is about Jesus, how he comes to earth, how he takes on the very nature of a servant, 
and how he subjects himself to the most excruciating death, death by crucifixion. By the way, the, the etymology for the word excruciating comes from the Latin ex crux, meaning from the cross. The very definition of excruciating speaks about crucifixion. And Jesus experienced it. And as I said, he subjected himself to crucifixion because he willingly lays down his life. Nobody took it from him. This was all a foreordained plan of God, and Jesus willingly submitted to the will of the Father and lays his life down. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, 17, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay my life down, only to take it up again. He'll rise from the dead. And he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Listen, the Romans didn't kill him. The Jews didn't kill him. You and I didn't kill him. Jesus willingly laid down his life. Because in essence, all of us killed him. But he did it willingly because he loves us. And he had the power to take up his life again because of his triumph over sin and death. All of it foreordained. This was all the plan of God for the salvation of the world. Peter, in preaching in Acts chapter 2, would speak about it this way when he says in Acts 2.31 and 30, or sorry, Acts 2.23, that Jesus was handed over to the Gentiles to be crucified according to God's foreordained counsel and purpose. Peter would even write later in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, check this verse out, that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times in these last times, for your sake. In other words, because God knows all things, He knew that mankind would rebel against Him. God knew that mankind would sin against Him. So even before the fall of man, before the creation of the world, God put in motion a redemptive plan whereby His Son Jesus would come die for our sins. So yes, in fact, Jesus steps into time, and there was a time, a point in time, when Jesus was crucified, but this was the plan of God from the beginning of time, that He would die for the sins of the world. And thus, his story, the story of Jesus, is revealed through the whole Bible from cover to cover. The Old Testament previews Jesus. The New Testament reviews Jesus. All of the Bible overviews Jesus. It's all about Christ. And I love to quote this Scottish preacher, author, died in like 1957, I think. His name was William Graham Scroggie. I love to quote him on this because he said this once. He said, you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. Because everywhere in the Bible you go from Genesis to Revelation, it bleeds with the story of the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus is revealed from cover to cover. And if that's true, that wherever you cut the Bible it bleeds, then Isaiah 50-53 to needs a tourniquet. Because these are some of the most profound prophetic passages in all of the Bible concerning the Messiah, specifically concerning the humiliation, the suffering, the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of the Messiah, all of which was fulfilled entirely and exclusively in Christ. Let me point out a couple of these verses. If you have your Bibles open now to Isaiah chapter 50, look at verse 6. One of the first things that Isaiah tells us leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, prophetically speaking, is that Jesus will suffer brutal beatings in the hours leading up to his crucifixion. 
In Isaiah 50, verse 6, speaking in the first person, Messiah, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Isaiah gives us insight in, into a little detail that the Gospels are silent about. The Gospels don't tell us that Jesus' beard was ripped out from his face, but Isaiah tells us. Isaiah tells us. In fact, Isaiah goes on to say that the physical beatings that Jesus sustained, even before he was flogged and nailed to the cross, just in the course of the hours preceding his crucifixion, Isaiah says he was beaten so severely that it disfigured his face and he was unrecognizable. Go over to chapter 52 of Isaiah, and I'll show you in verse 14. Isaiah 52 and verse 14. It says, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. You know, many years ago when Mel Gibson put out The Passion of the Christ, one of the criticisms he got for that movie was that it was just way too malicious and too severe and brutal in the beating that Jesus sustained. Well, that was the criticism levied against Mel Gibson, but as horrific, if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, as, as horrible as it is to watch those scenes, I think it had to be true to the text. Because Jesus, it says here in Isaiah 52, 14, Messiah was beaten so horrifically, so viciously, that you wouldn't even be able to recognize, if you had seen him, you wouldn't be able to recognize who he is. His face marred beyond recognition. And the New Testament bears this out because in the New Testament it tells us in Mark 14:65 that the Jewish Sanhedrin and the Jewish temple guard beat Jesus mercilessly on his way to the cross. Mark 14:65 says then some began to spit at him, they blindfolded him, they struck him with their fists and said prophesy and the guards took him and beat him. This is our Lord being beaten savagely brutally beaten. The Roman soldiers were guilty of doing the same thing. Even outside, again, of the cat of nine tails that would literally shred his back as he was being whipped before he was being crucified, it tells us in Mark 15, 17 to 19, that the Roman guards, the Roman soldiers, put a purple robe on him, and then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! They're mocking him. And it says again and again... They struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. So Jesus, I mean, it's amazing that he was even conscious by the time he got to Golgotha. In fact, many historians say that most criminals, Jesus is not a criminal, but most criminals who were crucified died before they even got to the cross because of the beating that they sustained on the way there. Jesus was no exception to the beating, though he was an exception to being a criminal, he was the perfect son of God without sin, but all these charges were trumped up against him in order to fulfill once again the foreordained purposes of God, that his son might die for the sins of the world. The very people who were beating Jesus were the ones that he loved and was dying for. And so on his way to the cross, Jesus is beaten in such a horrific way. And then we come here now to Isaiah 53, which gives us the details about Messiah 
related to his crucifixion, his suffering, and his glorious resurrection. Now, before I read a little bit of Psalm, uh, sorry, Isaiah 53, if I said Psalm, forgive me, but before I read from Isaiah 53 here, I want to point out that we're looking at this from the angle of there's just no statistical way that what we're about to read could just coincidentally be fulfilled in any one person. That this was not a coincidental thing. What Isaiah is writing about 700 years before Christ is about the Messiah and all of these details were completely and exclusively fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Even the ancient Jewish rabbis in reading Isaiah 53 acknowledged that this chapter was about the coming Messiah. The Aramaic translation of this chapter, because originally Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew, the Aramaic translation of this chapter, Isaiah 53, was written by a, name by the name of, a guy by the name of Rabbi Jonathan ben Uziel. He was actually a disciple of Hillel, one of the most famous rabbis of the first century. And Rabbi Jonathan ben Uziel lived in the first century, just a couple decades after Christ was crucified and rose from the dead. And in his translation of Isaiah 53, he actually inserts the word Messiah because it is so clear that this chapter is referring to none other than Messiah. Also, the Babylonian Talmud, a, a written commentary on Jewish scriptures written by Jews in the 4th century A.D., also states that Isaiah 53 is about Messiah, is about the Anointed One. But oddly enough, today in Jewish synagogues, Isaiah 53 is intentionally omitted from Sabbath readings. Why is that? Well, one Jewish scholar by the name of Claude Montefiore explained it this way, quoting him, quote, because of the interpretation of Christ given to the chapter, Isaiah 53, by Christians, it is omitted from the series of prophetical lessons for the Deuteronomy Sabbaths. The omission is deliberate and striking, end quote. In other words, they would even say that their own Jewish history points to the fact that Isaiah 53 was written about Messiah, about the Anointed One, but because Christians see that too as fulfilled in Jesus, we don't want to read this chapter in the synagogue. Now, to whom is that doing a disservice? Not to Christians, but to the Jews themselves who are not examining their own Scriptures to make an intelligent examination of the evidence before them related to Messiah, because the reality is that Isaiah 53 points to the Messiah, specifically Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, and that if Jew and Gentile alike will look at these verses that I'm about to take you through with an open mind examination, you too will come to the same conclusion, that the only possible person that could have fulfilled these things is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So I'm going to take you through just the first few verses of Isaiah 53, and I'm going to give you seven reasons to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, I, I just want the simplicity of these verses to speak for themselves. I don't come to you with eloquence of speech. I come to you just with Scripture, and I trust God's Word to do its powerful work in your hearts just by reading this with me and seeing how Christ fulfilled these things. Oh, Open up. 
The Old Testament book of Isaiah is a powerful text filled with prophecy, history, and the grandeur of your Creator. God uses Isaiah to teach the Israelites about who He is and what He expects from those who call Him Lord. He also warns them against coming consequences of their actions, giving them the opportunity to repent and come back to Him. Isaiah also tells of a coming salvation, the child who would one day die for the sins of every person on earth, the Son of God, Jesus. There's much more to learn from Isaiah, so we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching from Pastor Gary, you can listen again online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take these messages with you on the go. Find the link to download at our website or search for the Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each Sunday, and child care is available. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. You know